Well, hey, everybody, this is Justin, and welcome to a special Good Friday edition of the Debrief Podcast. Man, several months ago, we began preparing for Good Friday services here at Sandals Church, and every year we try and create unique experiences that help us take a real and refreshing look at the work that God did for us on Good Friday through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this year, our creative team set out to put together an experience that explored Good Friday uh, with a character representing and and looking at those events uh, from the perspective of God the Father. And over the couple months of preparation we did for Good Friday services, that character and the nature of the experience shifted a bit, um, but it all started with a conversation that our creative director, Dex Alexander, had with Pastor Matt Brown. And when they sat down to have that conversation, I asked if we could stick some microphones in front of their faces, and they said yes. So what you're about to hear is really the initial theological and creative explorations for the Good Friday experiences we created. Now, as a warning, this gets pretty intense as a conversation, so you're going to hear some things uh, that are intense. Man, there was plenty of, of pauses and, and, and tears in the room, really, as we were reflecting on the work uh, and the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. You're also going to hear some pauses while we're flipping around through the pages of the Scripture as Pastor Matt is leading us to different places throughout God's Word that show us the realities and the truths of the Good Friday event, so you'll hear some pauses for that. And at one point, Pastor Matt mentioned something called Mehole. Just so you're not confused, that is the title of a book that he has written and uh, will eventually be publishing, so uh, don't be confused for that. For now, I hope you find this conversation really helpful um, for you as you process what happened on Good Friday as we look toward Easter. So so here's the plan. The plan for Good Friday is... Um, <clears throat> To, it's, and it's all based on Isaiah 53. As we were thinking about Good Friday, I was reading through Isaiah. And there's this passage, uh, Isaiah 53.10 uh, is, is the one that really sticks out to me. Uh, it says that it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made uh, an offering for sin, he would have many descendants and enjoy a long life and that sort of deal. But that first verse, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. And the other translations say it was God's perfect will. There's another translation that says it pleased God to crush him. Um, that sort of sparked this whole idea of, you know, oftentimes we'll tell the Good Friday story from, you know, the disciples' perspective mm-hmm. or from Jesus' perspective or something like that. And we're really trying to wrestle with the thought of telling it from God's perspective and trying to figure out how to explain this this sort of timeline that the cross and that resurrection was a part of this whole timeline uh, that from God's perspective went back before time. Right. Um, so how to explore things like God's wrath, the fact that, you know, there's sort of this image of God just as this loving, you know, whatever, but... In fact, there was like, and this is where it gets into theology and where I wanted to be sure that it was clear. In my mind, there's like a payoff that happens for God's wrath on the cross where Jesus satisfies the wrath of God Mm -hmm. against all of us who have gone astray. Um, so, uh, So the idea, the creative idea, just to sort of give you some context is sort of be 
uh, like in the room, in the middle of the room, I would be sort of in the middle of the room in kind of like, look sort of like a control center or like a, uh, almost like a madman's sort of laboratory or, you know, whatever. And it's got like, you know, big hourglasses and computers and, you know, whatever, all of this sort of stuff all around it. And just sort of starting this monologue of <clears throat> what, what, uh, all of these moments that led up to Good Friday and Jesus being killed. Mm. Talking about, you know, uh, uh, there's, you know, uh, one of the things that jumps out at me is the the time in the desert where uh, where God has, you know, Moses uh, uh, set up the staff and people have to go get killed. And there's the, you know, the Exodus and getting out and there's the Passover angel and there's just all of these sort of moments that are these set up sort of moments. Um, and, and the idea is you sort of, you know, we'll weave in songs and video and all of this sort of stuff in between all of it. Right. That makes it, you know, this, this whole night that kind of, you know, goes all the way through. Um, but that the end of Good Friday is, is, is just full on like God's wrath happening, you know, at the, at the moment of death and then come back on Good Friday with one of the many passages that talks about God's wrath not enduring for long, that God, you know, that that you know, whatever, find this passage that helps to turn the corner, and then the corner turns, and then all of good, all of Easter is the celebration of Jesus's life and the resurrection. So that's sort of the idea. We've got this big screen, like a scrim, that goes along the whole entire front, and what we're hoping we're going to start testing this today. Is that thing sort of sets in this um, uh, like red dye, mm -hmm. and this red starts to seep up from the bottom over the course of the night, and just seeps all the way up, just keeps on going up, 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 and then Easter morning, the very first song, you know, we start playing the song, and then phew, that veil sort of comes down between, and now we're on the other side, we're on the resurrection mm -hmm. side. We yeah, I like over. that. So. But I wanted to be sure that, especially as we're talking about God's wrath, as we're talking about atonement, I wanted to be sure that the details of that are right. And it, this won't be like a the like a like a lesson of atonement. It'll be, you know, theatrical and it'll be poetic and it'll be all of that sort of stuff. But I wanted to be sure that. Yeah, we I right I just I think that what what's important is that is that we what would be cool is if. Like I'm thinking of the imagery of the cross as, as a T, and so it would be so cool as if, if everything on Good Friday was on the left side of the cross. And so it's all about his, 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 his anger, his wrath, um, because the cross shows two things. It shows God's hatred of sin, and then on Easter, it shows his love for, for sinful people. Mm -hmm. And so it's both. And so, um, um, you know, like I'm thinking of like, you know, read Lamentations. Like Lamentations ends with, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, so Lamentations 4.11, the Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger mm -hmm. and he kindled the fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. And so, you know, so, right, what's his name? What, what's the pastor's name? Sinners in hang. It's sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to understand God, we have to understand both his his hatred of sin and his love for people. And so, you know, we get we get we get wobbly in our theology when we overemphasize one without the other. And so right. listen to Ezekiel 5:13, God's speaking to 
Then he says, um, this is rough. <laughs> so it's just, therefore their fathers shall eat their sons in your midst and their sons shall eat their fathers. And I will execute judgments upon you and any of you who survive, I will scatter to all the winds. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with your abominations, therefore I will withdraw, my eye will not spare, and I will have no pity. A third of you shall die in pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. A third shall fall by the sword all around you, and a third I will scatter to all the winds and unsheath the sword after them. Thus my anger shall spend itself and I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy myself, and they shall know that I am the Lord, and I have spoken in my jealousy. When I spend my fury upon them, moreover I will make you a desolation and an object of reproach amongst the nations all around you and in the sight of all who pass by, and you shall be a reproach and a taunt, listen to this, warning and a horror to all the nations around you. When I execute my judgments on you in anger, fury, and with the furious rebukes, I am the Lord, I have spoken. That's to the people that he loves. <laughs> right? That was, that was Ezekiel? Yeah, so it's Ezekiel 5. Uh, I think I started in 10. And so, you know, right? So, so God is gracious. So all of Jeremiah is you can repent, you can repent, you can repent, right? And they, they, they beat Jeremiah. They throw him in a cistern. They want to kill him. Like, it's just this, right, come on, guys, come on, guys, come on, guys. And so they have ample opportunities to repent. And then Ezekiel says, it's over. It's over. So a third of you will die. You're going to eat your kids. You're going to eat your old people. Like, I mean, that's how bad it's going to be. And um, I mean, it's, it's amazing. So, so God is going to bring Babylon to punish them. Oh, and by the way, Babylon... After 70 years, I'm going to do this to you because you just punked my people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's so, so, and it's so, you know, right. The fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. And so I think what the message that we need to, to preach on Good Friday is sin is serious to God. It's, it's serious and he hates it. And um, I think that, you know, um, and so, you know, right. God's, I mean, I think, so I think that, I think that the cross did two things to God's heart. One, it pleased him. It was, it was his good will. And I don't like that translation. It right. was his will to punish Jesus. But why was it his will? It's because his will is to love us. And so we have to, we have to show both sides of that coin. And so, um, you know, I think about, um, you know, this week we're in Luke 9. Um, Luke 9 um, started like in verse 18 through like 26. You know, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? You are the Christ, right? So who are you? You, you are the one who will bring victory to your people. So, that, so the imagery of Christ is that of military conqueror, right? He's going to be the great general, Alexander the right. Great. Yeah. He's going to reach them, and he says, no. Yeah. Tell no one of who I am. And then he says, for the Son of Man must suffer and die. Mm-hmm. And so he, he is, before we can reign with him, he had to suffer and, and die so that he could redeem us as his people. So he has to, he has to purify his people before, before we can be with him because God cannot tolerate sin. He will not look upon sin. He will not be a part of sin. And so, um, and so you know, part of, right, the picture of the cross, I mean, you want, you want to talk about, you know, why, why did Jesus Christ suffer and die? Because we are not the only audience, right? So when you look at, when you look at Philippians, um, 
who is God teaching? You know, who who is who's watching? Well, far more than we know. And so, so part of part of what's happening on the cross is God's character and His Word is being redeemed not only for us but to all creatures, 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 um, spirits, whatever in the unseen world because they're watching. And so, God has said He will punish sin and and it will be destroyed. And so how does he ultimately fulfill his own word? Well, he kills his own son for us, um, which is just bizarre. So, um, yeah. How do you, how do you, how, how do you explain the dual, uh, duality? It's, it's actually a dichotomy of, uh, you know, passages uh, in Lamentations, um, especially some places in Jeremiah where, where we sort of know that God's, he's wrathful and he's angry and he's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Like this is going to happen. And then instantly follows it up with, but I cry for you yeah. and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm broken, you know, and I'm, I, I, you know, the children in the streets and there's all of this imagery of God's like pain and anguish over that. Mm. And I, I, I get the uh father or parents punishing their children analogy of yeah. you know as a parent yeah it hurts when i've got to discipline my kids but i'm wondering if there's something stronger than that like a stronger image than that to help to 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 point that out yeah well the challenge for us theologically right is we live in a culture that doesn't understand sin doesn't feel guilt for sin that does, right. you know we, we we don't have a culture anymore that has a hatred for sin so so it's hard for us to understand why, why God would do that right. because we don't have a you know we don't have a we're okay like we're okay with that yeah well I don't even know that as a culture we even agree with the concept of sin anymore we think of it as well you know everybody's right nobody's perfect right. and we we you know we um we don't realize um. You know the cesspool that we are as as human beings. Um, um, you know, I was listening to this commentary. You know about politicians coming to Vegas, and they're like, you know, politicians are supposed to be the best of us, and yet they're talking about they even soil Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean. Yeah. People in Vegas are like. Yeah, on, and and this is where don't. you can get you know like midgets in a in a spa full of Pepto Bismo <laughs> to do whatever you want for a couple grand, right? I mean, yeah. I actually heard that analogy on the radio. Some guy said, "What can we get in Vegas?" And that was the thing that they did. They yeah. said they called up and said, "Hey, we want naked people in a pool of Pepto Bismo cutting our toenails." And they said, "How much is that?" Six grand. <laughs> okay, right. So, so, so Vegas, Vegas, right? That's hell. I mean, that's that's Sin City. You can get whatever your heart desires as long as you have the the ability to write the check. But politicians come there, and it's like, ooh. So I think the depth of the human heart escapes us. I think we see it in politicians, but the reality is, you know, this is what I would say is, is people always think that the problem's Washington, right? We all want to say Washington, but Washington is a reflection of us. Mm-hmm. Who sends them there? We, we do, year in, year out. And so what's sick with America is not Washington. What's sick with America is Americans. And we don't, we can't see that. We can't see that... Um, you know, because if Americans didn't tolerate it, it wouldn't be there. Right. But we do. And so it's easier, right? So Jesus says, first take the plank out of your own eye. Well, why do we have politicians like this? Because we're all self-seeking. We all want our own desires. We, want, we all want our own things fulfilled. 
You know, poor people want to take money from the rich people. Rich people don't want their money taken. You know, um, right? Everybody wants. Everybody's in it for themselves, and so um, it's an ugly thing. So that that that's what I think we need to create. Is we need to we need we need to, we need to somehow pull the veil off people so they can see how ugly things are. Because even in our language, right? Well, if God's so loving, why are people hungry? Well, I think God would ask us that same question. Mm-hmm. You have enough food to feed everybody six times over. Why are people still hungry? It's not, it's not for a lack of me providing. It's a lack of you sharing. Well, why is there a disease? Because we would rather spend money on militaries than finding cures. I mean, why? Because God's attacking us, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, you come back to these things. Well, the finger of God. Well, why do we continue to live there? Yeah. What, well, yeah, I mean, you know, everything, everything that, I think that we we blame blame on God. We can look back at ourselves and say, um, you know, why do airplanes crash? Well, because people have to have brakes and human beings aren't focused, and you know, an airplane shouldn't crash. Right. But you know, Joe had to take a cigarette break and forgot to lube the joint, and you know, yeah. So, so we've got it. We've got it. We've got to. We've got to help our people understand why sin is so ugly. You know, and so like it's like the person who doesn't have cancer trying to explain to, to someone who's never lost someone from cancer or they've never seen the effects of cancer. They don't have a true hatred for that. So we have to create a picture for them on Good Friday of why sin is so ugly, right. what sin does. The Bible says it always leads unto death. So sin is a spiritual cancer that infects and destroys everything. Um, and God will not tolerate sin in heaven. He won't. He won't allow it. And so... What it what? I don't know if I'm helping. Yeah, no, you are. There's it's, it's really good stuff in there. Um, I just think it's important that that we understand that the cross both pleased God and broke His heart. Like mm-hmm. we have no idea. Um. Which again, right? I mean, you think you think about judgment that I just read to you, because they rejected His prophets. Mm-hmm. What on earth is judgment going to look like when <clears throat> He sent His Son? Loving, kind. I, you, I don't know if you guys have seen Risen yet, but I took my fam my family to see it on Sunday night, and I, it wasn't as good as the Passion, uh, but it was really good. And the thing I loved about it the most is they just made Jesus so lovable. Hmm. Like you know, the Roman soldiers. He's like, why? Why are all these people? Why do all these people want to be with him? And he's like, Have you met him? Hmm. You know. And I love the scene where he goes to heal, heal the leper and Peter comes up to the, the Roman soldier and he goes, watch this. He does this all the time. This is really <laughs> great. You know, and here's this guy that no one will meet and Jesus just goes up and embraces him yeah. and loves him. And it's just beautiful. And so Jesus was nothing but wonderful, nothing but wonderful. Um, and, you know, we killed him. Yeah. I've been, I've been trying to read more about <clears throat> moments where... Jesus sort of flips from good guy to bad guy, for lack of a better term. Never, you know, bad guys relates to sin. But I was reading last night um, <clears throat> where they're up in the upper room and Jesus is going around and starting to wash uh, everyone's feet. And Peter, you know, yeah. gets all super pious. It's like, no, don't wash my feet. And then in this moment where Jesus is doing something really good, he goes, then you'll have no part of me. Like, he's just, I'm going to write you off. This is over, done, finished. Mm-hmm. If you don't get this sort of part. And I've been reading those pieces because I think it's one of the things that is is most complicated about understanding 
God in the in the which we never completely will, but trying to trying to make his complexities um, more understandable is that throughout all of eternity he's managing this back and forth between mm. I'm creating all of creation as a way of expressing my love for humanity. Everything that I've done is to express my love for humanity and then instantly having to call people to the carpet for sin like in 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 those in those same moments. Mm-hmm. Um well the I, only people Jesus calls to account for sin is religious people in the New Testament. Right. He never um he never goes after the prostitutes. He never goes after the tax collectors. Now, when they come to him, he says, leave your life of sin, but he always embraces them and he always loves them. Mm-hmm. The people that he's goes after are those with like this, you know, this sense of self-righteousness. And, and, and again, I think that's the problem. That's the thing that we have to break down for, for those of us who are gathered. So to the non-Christian, right, we have to present a case for their sin. To the Christian, we have to represent a case. Um, I'm sorry. You know, like, this is just something that I wrestle with in my own family. Like, I always feel like Good Friday should be like a day of mourning for my family. Right. And they want to go to the movies. They want to go to Vegas. And it's just this, it's just, it's immense struggle. And the reality is that is because, A, I haven't done a good job leading my family in teaching them this is the darkest day in human history. Yeah. And it's the best day. So, and B, they don't, they don't understand that it's, it's not a day, it's not a day to watch movies. It's, 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 Right, it's the most terrible day in the life of the one we love. Yeah, um, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm reminded of that. You know, as I'm looking at my daughter as we're watching Risen with Christ hanging on the cross, and it was just morbidly um, awful to look at as you watched him. And they and in Risen, Jesus's eyes are open when he's dead. Oh, it was rough, and you're looking into the dead eyes of Jesus. It was just. That that was profound for me. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, the movie got a little Hollywood and a little funky, but there are some moments where I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing cinema!" Mm-hmm. Because I have to look into those eyes, and so, um, you know, I think we we have to help we have to help our church look into His eyes and 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 see that that you know, Good Friday is just not it's not a day to party. It's a day to to reflect. To, you know, it's a day of darkness, um, and to enter into that. You know, mm-hmm. just whoa, so that on Sunday or Saturday, you know, we can, right, we can celebrate. All right. Um, well, one of the angles I'm trying to take with uh, the character that we're creating to try to represent God is that, like, we've all seen people who are like too smart. They're just a little bit different. They sort of gaze off into nothing. They have a twitch. They don't talk like the rest of us. Like they're just right. kind of. So I'm trying to create this character that is is part that that is close enough to this feeling uh, like is gonna rant like <clears throat> a madman who sort of gets lost in his emotions for part of the night. Um, and then also sort of explaining human history in a, in a way that, you know, ways that just the average person can't really see. How, how close to, like, there's a part of me that sees this passage in particular, the Isaiah 53 passage of, of his will to crush God or to crush uh, Jesus mm-hmm. as like 
it had there had to be a moment where he had to separate the father part. And this is just I'd say it has to be, but this is how my brain makes sense of it. Where he has to separate the father part from the judge part and just go. You know, I can't love you in this mo- moment right now mm. because I've got to ju- like I've got to judge sin. Right. And the fact that those two things, it's the it's the the wrestling match that Abraham had yeah. with Isaac is I have to to separate myself from my ability to save you because of my do like like my, my duty to judge sin. Is that how you would explain the moment where Jesus says why have you forsaken me? Like I think there's the there's the human moment where he's reminding people of the Psalm 22 passage. I think it is where that that starts off with that same line. Why did you forsake me? And then it says in there that the they're casting lots for my you know that to me that was the human moment. I'm going to say that so you guys will hearken back to what the prophecy was about me. But then the spiritual moment, I, in my head, that's where God goes. You're on your own for right now because at this moment you're bearing the weight of sin. I can't be a part of that. I've got to judge this. Mm-hmm. How, how do you explain that that line where Jesus says, "My God, why why have you forsaken me?" Yeah, well, it's actually in Psalms. He's actually quoting Psalms. I'm trying to find it. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's Psalms 27. I mean, you have to remember, David's not just a king; he's a prophet, and so sometimes right. his psalms are prophecies, right. whether he knew them or not. Uh, let's look at Psalm. I'm pretty sure it's Psalm 27. So the first line of Psalm 22 is, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saying?" And then uh, in seven, <clears throat> it says, all who see me mock me. Uh, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you're right. It's 22. And so go up to 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Mm-hmm. My heart is like wax. Mm-hmm. It is melted within my breast. What happened when they pierced his heart? Yeah. Um, my tongue sticks to my jaws. You laid me in the dust of death. So David never died. That's right. why we believe that this is a prophecy about Jesus. Yeah. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. <coughs> they have pierced my hands and feet. Mm-hmm. Right? That never happened to David. Right. I can count all my bones. That's where we get none of his bones will be broken. They stare at me and gloat over me. They divide my divide garments my among garments. them. Yeah. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think, like him, him saying that out loud <clears throat> and re, re, should remind the, the Pharisees and the, the, the scribes and all the religious leaders who know their Bible frontside and backside. Mm-hmm. He calls out that line and that should be the mm-hmm. first thing that plays in their head going all the way through. I think, you know, obviously they were, they were sort of blind to it. Mm-hmm. But I also think the eternal element, I guess what I'm trying to get to is I'm trying to find this moment to sort of to wrap everything up where this God character literally walks out of the room just ranting and raving. And like, I, it, I, so I've been just sort of 
doing like this stream of consciousness, you know, kind of talking and almost every time, and I kind of feel bad because I don't think I would say this, I don't know, but like the last line is just get the out. Like I just, I just want to, I want everybody out of here. I can't, I can't imagine that the throne room, that anybody could survive, even in heaven, this moment where God had to separate himself, mm. let his son die judge and all of that sort of stuff in the moment like to me it just it 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 just seems like it would be too much even for yeah you know angels or like anybody like he just you know yeah so i think that's awesome so we 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 don't right we don't know because the scriptures only indicate what happened on earth but the bible says that the ground shook so the holiest of holies was torn Mm -hmm. Um, but heaven probably shook. The very foundations of heaven shook because the first, for the first time in all of eternity, the triune God is now separate. Mm-hmm. And so, right. So, 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 what is the ultimate penalty of sin? Jesus, Jesus, um, Jesus experiences both penalties of sin. So, so death in the Bible, you know, doesn't just mean like end of life. It means separation. So, the first death is. Uh, separation of the soul from the body. Mm-hmm. The second death that Revelations talks about is the separation from the soul from God. So blessed are those who do not experience the second death. Mm-hmm. So what does Jesus Christ experience? Both. Both. Yeah. He experiences the first death, the physical death, and then he experiences, which is ironic, he's experiencing the second death before while he's still alive. He's feeling God's spirit pulling from him as he dies. Um, and then I believe he ascends into hell and preaches the gospel, according mm-hmm. to First Peter, mm-hmm. um, which again is a controversial point. But you know, as evangelicals, we're so afraid of this idea of purgatory that I think it 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 causes us to not translate that passage correctly. And so mm-hmm. what we say is, well, he preached to demons. Right. Well, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Right. <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, yeah. right. There's nothing in the gospel that indicates that there's anything that awaits demons except judgment and torture. So, uh, and then he goes immediately into talking about Noah right. and saving eight while judging the world. So I think he's talking about preaching, preaching to all those who never had an opportunity to hear mm-hmm. about Christ. And so they have an opportunity um, to, to be saved um, because God is just, mm-hmm. he's a just God. And so, um, you know, we have to be careful in that, not to just say, okay, well, then we don't have to share the gospel because we, as far as we know, we do. Mm-hmm. So I like this, this, um, you did this. Mm-hmm. I like that idea of God's anger and God's love come together on the cross and there's this explosion mm-hmm. that actually separates God from himself. Mm-hmm. So um, God's righteous anger and God's never ending love. So his righteous anger and his eternal love come together on the cross and there's this explosion that shakes the earth, separates the temple, the temple and just you know like we we have no idea what what was happening. Um right. You know, and I think too often we focus the immensity of Christ's suffering on the physical nature of it. And I think, I mean, this is a guy, right, who can't, can't eat for 40 days. Yeah. Clearly, he's badass. I mean, right. this guy. He's a tough guy. Right. He, <laughs> he, he is, I mean, he, he's a tough guy. He's not afraid of anything. Um, I mean, he scares people. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a man's man. But what was unbearable 
right? What's, what's unbearable for him is the separation from God, which is what he's trying to save us from. Uh-huh. And that's what he's experiencing. And so, um, and I would say this word, Christ, Christ became truly alone so that you and I would never have to be lonely. I like, I love that, um, right? Because in the so creation account, Christ became truly alone so that you and I would never have to be lonely. Yeah. That's a good tweet. Yeah. Um, in Genesis, right, everything is good and God says it is not good for man to be alone because man does not truly reflect God yet in the way that God is reflected. He is relational, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so man must become relational. Not, it's not a perfect example, but you know, woman is of the man and all men shall be of the woman. So we're all bound together, um, which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternally bound together. Um, so, all right. Uh, the last thing, and then I'll let you guys transition over. And don't drop the f bomb. Oh well, that might be your last day. <laughs> it's true. Well, Dex hasn't done that yet. I got stage. one. I got one. <laughs> you've like right. You've you've used your grace. <laughs> um. <clears throat> all right. So the the. Idea of atonement and sort of what it takes for us to be united uh, with Christ. I was reading yesterday. There's a there's a there's two great books written by a guy. I was going to bring in today. Um, uh, I can't remember his last name, but it's called uh, "The Day Jesus Was Born" is one of the books, and "The Day Jesus Died" is the other book. And it's like mm-hmm. this. He's this guy was a journalist, and so he's gone through all of the. The biblical text, but then you know, all of the extra biblical text from historians and stuff at the time, and all the stuff that's been written about it, and sort of creates this one almost a novel, but it's just this one long narrative uh, from 7 p.m. Uh, just before they go to the upper room um, until uh, just after Jesus dies. Anyway, he's taught uh, between the chapters. He puts in these like historical sort of things about the life of mm. like what Jewish life was like at that time, what those cities were like, and this great historical deal about Romans and the history of crucifixion. How it actually started off with the Phoenicians, but you know they never quite got it right, and the Romans made it a science, and they mm. started to document. Well, we don't want it to take seven hours, but we also don't want it to end in 30 minutes. How can we get it to this fine, you know, whatever, this whole entire deal. But he was talking about the, the sacrifice and how sacrifices worked at the time and how there would be these three priests with three lambs. You know, you had to complete this one slit. If, you, hmm. if they messed up, the whole thing had to get dismantled because it wasn't a perfect sacrifice and the mm. lambs had to be unblemished and the, you know all of these different deals mm. and taking the blood and pouring it on a stone and the stone would seep down into the temple. And, and it just made me think of all of the work and effort and details that had to be at the forefront of all of these people's minds just to feel like they were remotely... Mm close to God or seen by God or like acknowledged by God. And then you have this act of Christ that sort of wipes the need for all of that sort of stuff away. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess what I I wanted to hear is just that the idea of atonement, the, 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 the completed work of Christ, 
how, how do how do we communicate that? And it's something we continue to recommunicate. But how, how do how do we say that the work for salvation is done? Um, and then add to that the fact that we you know it's a passage of working out your salvation right, right. and and uh, this whole idea of salvation you know fear and trembling and like how how do we how do we paint the picture of the completed work of Christ mm-hmm. with the ongoing work of sanctification I guess yeah and the- so I think it's the, the issue is the forgotten cross and I talk about this in Mihol is um, um, you know, a lot of Christians have, have forgotten a cross, and it's not the one Christ died on, but it's the one we're to die on. And so, what I say is, the first Christ, the first cross saves you, the second cross changes you. And so, the picking up of your own cross and following Him daily—that's the process of being changed by Christ. And um, it's only through the process of dying daily to self, um, you know. You know, le- learning to say yes to Jesus means learning to say no to yourself. And um, most Christians never figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's use as non-religious symbols as possible to communicate because our, we don't live in a, a, a sacrificial culture. We don't live, you know, B, in a Jewish culture. And so we don't need to explain all those things. What we need to do is we need to create a case for something's broken and it must be fixed. Um, you know, like yesterday, the windstorm we had, blew my son's basketball um, rim over, landed right on Tammy's brand new car. Destroyed the whole hood. Okay, I can get over it, but there still has to be a repair made. It has to be fixed. And so we've got, we've got to show the church that something is broken. We've got to make that case for, we can clearly see that something's broken. Um, you know, we can also see beauty, um, but, but how do we, how do we resolve this conflict of brokenness? And the reality is, is Christ is the only way because what what needs to change is everything. And so that's why Christ talks about a new kingdom, a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. Everything must be new. Um, behold, I make all things new. I'm going to start over. Who wants to come with me? You want to stay here forever? You want to continue to spend eternity in brokenness? Mm-hmm. There you go. There will be a place for you. you do you want to? Do you want to spend eternity in a place where the lion lays down with the lamb? You know, where the child puts his hand in the cobra's den and isn't bitten. Where you know, where there's no sin, there's no death, there's no sickness. You know, um, right? Um, I mean, the New Jerusalem is this. This river flows out, and that's what's so cool about Jerusalem. If you guys get to go, is there's a whole water system underneath the city. They have no idea where it comes from. So Jerusalem is a desert city that completely exists on well water, and they have no idea where it comes from, but it's been there for 3,000 years. And so the Bible talks about a river will flow out of Jerusalem, and there will be a tree that grows there, and the people will come, and the leaves will heal them. So we will constantly be connected to Jesus in a way where we're, we're renewed. The new bodies are constantly renewed. and mm-hmm. Or, you know, I always think of hell as you get your eternal body and it rots forever. There you go, there's no renewing, Hmm. you know, there's no, um, and in that way, maybe leprosy is a picture of eternity to come. Mm -hmm. Just this, this, this slow decay of, nope, you're on your own. And so, right, so if Christ is life, if our life is in Christ, how does one experience eternal life apart from Christ? 
because mm-hmm. he is the sustainer of life. And so um, I think it's, that's what Jesus is talking about, where, the, where the, the corpses burn and the moth never dies. There's this eternal decay. Mm-hmm. It's just disgusting. Mm-hmm. You know, in Dante's Inferno, it's souls swimming in a lake of piss. Not piss, pus. Mm-hmm. It's worse. It is worse. They swim in pus. So it's so it's so for him, and that's not the worst level. That's like two or three yeah. before the bottom. It's this lake of infection. Mm-hmm. Everyone's dying slowly and pulling each other down as you go by. Right? It's 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 a lake of selfish sickness. Me 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 me. Um, yeah. Thanks so, so again, be careful about creating religious imagery that confuses. And so, um, you know, so much of this religious Im- imagery is in here be- because they understand it, they see it, mm-hmm. they they get it. And so, how do we create pictures of, uh, you know, helping our people not have to translate this? And again, that's the mistake I think like so many people do is, oh, I need to become an expert in Judaism. No, you don't. You know, the, those are simply symbols to help those people understand what was wrong. We need to create symbols to help us understand what's wrong. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for us, the, you know, so, so many people today, the idea of even killing an animal is ungodly, much less killing it because God said to, right? right. Um, and they ate, they ate the animals. I mean, they didn't like just go to waste. Yeah. So they burned the fat. And the gross stuff, but they ate, they ate the meat. The mm-hmm. priests were butchers, mm-hmm. really good ones. So, yeah. yeah, big barbecues, man. The Lord loves to eat. Well, thanks so much for listening and joining us on this special edition of the Debrief Podcast as we looked at the truths and realities of Good Friday. Man, if you've got any feedback about this version of the podcast, I'd love to hear it. Would you send me an email? You can email me personally, prd at sandalschurch.com. I'd love to know what you thought and if you found this helpful. And we will be back with a regular episode of the Debrief next week. We love you guys. Thanks so much for listening.